Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. We are in uh, James chapter 2, and we'll be picking up at verse 14. Some years back, Bob Goff wrote a book titled Love Does. Um, not to be confused with another book that came out, <laughs> kind of controversial, called Love Wins. We're not talking about that one. Love does. And every chapter in that book shares a great moving and redeeming story of love in action. It's really good. Some of you have read, have read the book. So that caused me to think that a good title for this message today would be lot of faith does especially when we look and see what James is writing about as he reveals true faith is like true love it doesn't sit around with just warm fuzzy feelings doing nothing true faith is evidenced by its fruit by what it does someone once said that faith is like calories You can't see them, but you can sure see their results. (laughs) Here in a little bit, we're going to be taking on some extra calories, aren't we? (laughs) That happens to be the major theme resonating throughout James's letter. We can boil it down to one word, really, and that one word would be results. Real faith results in genuine deeds, and nowhere does James more passionately claim and illustrate this theme than here in chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. This passage forces us to, to really deal and work through a piercing question that really lies beneath all of this. And here's the question. If you say you believe like you should, why do you behave like you do? (laughs) In the previous passages, the one we were at last week, the first part of James chapter 2, we discovered that a faith that works is revealed in how we treat people. Now, James is going to point out a faith that works makes itself real through and becomes noticed and evidenced and making a difference in how we live our lives, okay? This letter is just, I think, what we need today to challenge us and set us straight because so many people are looking for a faith that demands very, very little, that's not requiring much change at all in the way we might live our lives. And here's what I want you to understand. Your deepest and most sincere beliefs inevitably find their way into your behavior. It's just how it is. You cannot deny that truth. If you have dead, do-nothing faith about something, anything, it's going to show. And you will have zero impact in this world. But if you have real faith, 
faith that does kind of faith, it will lead you to do more than just talk a good talk. It will lead you to take action that is consistent with what you state you believe. And so James begins this section reminding us that just talk is not enough. Let's pick it up at verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? And so once again, a key point here is faith does more than just talk. This section is actually the main theme of the book. Everything before and after this passage that we're looking at this morning is like an arrow pointing back to it or for back to it or frontwards to it. However you want to decipher that. <laughs> it is we who, you know, it is, we could simply say that it is what is the main thing in James's mind, this theme here. He asks two rhetorical questions, and as you know, rhetorical questions mean you don't really need to answer them because the answer is obvious, right? So he asks two of them that can only have one obvious answer. The first one is, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Obviously, the answer is what? It's no good. <laughs> People may be called Christians and claim to be part of the faith, but do they have any genuine fruit or results that prove to those around them that their confession is actually authentic? That's what James is asking. And quite frankly, James says that if somebody claims to have faith in Christ, but his or her life doesn't show results of faith, Basically, James is saying, then that faith might very well be, can I use this word, phony. The second question that he asks is, can such faith save them? It refers, that is referring to a certain quality of faith, a faith which produces no fruit. The implied answer, of course, is a, what, a resounding no. Now, notice James doesn't say if a person has faith. What he asks is if a person says they have faith. Big difference. In other words, if a person says, I am a Christian, but has no deeds, no fruit in order to validate that very claim, then how valid is that claim? The question is not, can faith save the lost? That's not even the question here. Of course, faith and faith alone is what brings salvation. The question is, is faith without deeds, without fruit, without evidence, without results, really a saving faith? The answer to that question, again, is no. We are not talking about a salvation by works, mind you. Please, no one understands that James is not saying that. I am not saying that. James is saying if there is salvation, there will be works of obedience which prove the presence of a genuine saving faith. 
So consider this with me. Prospective drivers with cars and trucks have to do what? They've got to pass a written test, correct? A test that dealing with all of the road rules. And then after that written test, they've got to pass an actual skills test. They've got to get out there on the road with the inspector or teacher, or whatever they're referred to, and, and pass that test as well. Lawyers must pass a bar exam. And accountants must pass the CPA exam. And so it is only reasonable to realize that our profession of Christianity, our profession of faith, also demands a test. That test is the demonstration of a faith that does. Without it, our claim becomes false, and we show at that point our deception. Now, intellectual faith, you know, just up here only in the head without deeds, James is basically saying is an empty claim. An individual can claim to have right beliefs about God, about Jesus, even about salvation, but still lack real saving faith, true salvation. Deeds, not only intellectual statements, you know, a good talk, are the only acceptable demonstrations of your claim to having faith. It takes more than talk to have a faith that does. Next, we see that faith does more than just feel. So it's more than just talk. Now we're going to find that it's more than just feel. Look at verses 15 and 16 with me. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? These verses illustrate the kind of person who has the type of faith that is virtually worthless. What James is basically saying. This is not a professional beggar that James presents in his illustration. Not a freeloader. It's a brother or sister in Christ. Someone who is a part of the family of God. And we've already established that James is writing to a group of people, Jewish people who have converted over to Christianity, who are hurting. They've been persecuted, lost homes, lost businesses. Maybe even families have been separated and they've been scattered. And so I'm saying that to remind us that these are folks who, in this illustration, that James chooses to use are folks who can do nothing about their plight. And so for someone who has the ability to help and doesn't, but simply says in kind of, if you ask me in a very unkind, uncompassionate kind of way, hope you do good. Hope you do well. Stay warm. It's snowing outside, but I hope you do well. Kind of faith. And James is saying, what good is that? It is worthless. If we see a legitimate need and can do something about it, but instead simply say, go in peace, I wish you well, what kind of a faith is that? In other words, faith that only has feelings is worthless, just as good as dead. 
a true believer will do, has to do something because of his responsibility as a follower of Jesus Christ and putting him on display and reflecting the love and faith of Jesus Christ has to do something to help. The Apostle John reinforces that very truth by asking a question himself in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. He says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? The implication? It's not. <laughs> if there's genuine love, it reaches out to others. And if there's real faith, it produces acts of compassion. Genuine faith is not indifferent, not uncaring unsympathetic, but involved, involved. And John goes on to say in that 1 John chapter 3 passage in the very next verse, verse 18, he says, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Going back to James 2 here, verse 17, in the same way, Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. James writes that faith without deeds is dead. It may seem like James is contradicting, and we're going to look at several places throughout the rest of this message where folks love to take passages like some of the ones we're going to look at that Paul, the Apostle Paul has written, and they compared it alongside with what James has written, and they point to that and say, aha, see, a contradiction. The Bible isn't true. It contradicts itself, and we're going to see here that that is not the case at all, okay? And so, for example, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, that's one of the places where people like to point to and say, here's a contradiction. Paul says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works or not by deeds, Paul says, so that no one can boast. But church, there is no contradiction because of what Paul writes. And here's the thing that cracks me up. Folks will point to this and fail to read like the next verse. <laughs> because Paul says in the very next verse, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. <laughs> but not only that, he says, which God prepared for you in advance for us to do. A faith not accompanied by action, having no works to distinguish it, is, James says, dead. Anything with life produces fruit, right? Anything with life produces fruit, actively creating things that reveal their nature and character. Faith 
in Jesus produces actions revealing the nature and the character of Jesus. So faith that is inactive proves that it is dead. True faith brings salvation and life, church, not death. You see, when Paul warned another place that the skeptics like to point to in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, that a person could not be saved by works, like he said in Ephesians, he was referring to the works of obedience toward the Jewish law. That's what he's talking about. When James called for deeds or works, he was not suggesting that these deeds resulted in salvation. James is not saying that you earn your salvation by what you do. He was calling for Christians to do what Christians do because they are saved, because they do have salvation, because they do what a living faith naturally does. That's what James is calling for, and that's what he's talking about. Showing care and concern for those who are in need. In verse 18, a hypothetical person kind of poses an argument to James. This person considers faith and works to be two separate expressions of Christianity. Think about that now. They really cannot be separated, but this person in this hypothetical conversation is presenting two separate expressions of Christianity. Basically, he's saying, you do your deeds and I'll have my faith and we'll be religious in our own way. But the two cannot be separated without ceasing to be alive. Amen? Faith lives in the action that it generates. The argument in verse 18 is subtle. This is somebody who claims to have a quiet, invisible, private faith. We've all met people like this, haven't we? I keep my faith to myself, they say. I don't wear my religion on my sleeve. It's personal. Where in the Bible does it say that? Intellectual faith, head knowledge only, requires zero commitment. Did you hear me? Zero commitment. Saving faith involves a commitment to Jesus Christ, which produces fruit, results, and good deeds. Genuine faith displays itself. If you can't actually see it, how can anyone know that it actually exists? This takes us to verse 19, where James further shows the absurdity of bogus faith without accompanying good deeds. Look at verse 19 with me. You believe that there is one God. Good. But you know what? <laughs> Kind of like, even the demons believe that. And not only that, but when they hear the sound of the name that we sang about this morning, Jesus, it says they shudder 
and they tremble at the sound of that name. When was the last time you shuddered and trembled and were in awe at the sound of that name? And so here James is saying to us, faith does more than just believe. Believe is important, but just belief up here, not enough. You see, if you were to study the New Testament, you may be surprised to what demons actually believe. Dare I say that their theology might even be better than yours? How'd you like that? They believe Jesus is the Son of God, so much so they shudder at the sound of his name. They believe in hell. Matthew 8, 29 lets us know that. Demons are actually very orthodox in their beliefs. By putting yourself into this text, I want you to imagine for a moment with me a hypothetical conversation that you might engage a demon, and not that you would. <laughs> In fact, I wouldn't even encourage it. But just for sake of illustration, using our imaginations, and in that conversation, you're going to give a little bit of an exam to a demon. It's a doctrinal exam, okay? And you might ask, do you believe the Bible is the inspired word of God? Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God who died on the cross for the sins of the world? Do you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? You know what that demon's going to answer? He's going to answer, absolutely I do, without a doubt. But then you finally get to the place where you ask, will you repent of your sins and accept Christ as your Savior and Lord? And that demon is going to respond, oh, no, I don't want to repent. I don't want to change anything. I want to stay as I am. You see, a person can believe all of the right things and still not possess a saving faith, a faith that does in James's illustration, the demon believes that God is one, he tells us. This statement comes right out of the ancient confession of Judaism, a, a confession that's referred to and known as the Shema, found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And James tells us demons, again, I repeat, shudder with fear at the thought of our God, the behavior of demons demonstrated that someone can believe the right thing and yet not be redeemed. So referring back to the hypothetical person in verse 18, he has his basic theology down. He gives intellectual assent to the truth, but it hasn't penetrated the heart nor has it made its way to his hands and feet in terms of living out that faith, putting it into action. Those whose faith is merely intellectual have that much in common with demons. I love that in this hypothetical conversation, we find James 
not backing down. He illustrates how faith proves itself by its deeds. Because faith does. Verse 20. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. The word translated foolish here in the original language literally means empty. <laughs> I, I appreciate, I, I actually kind of like that James has chosen this word in this passage here. It's the idea kind of like a foolish person who might say they have this and that, but really there's nothing to back it up, no evidence. It's sort of like James saying, that person is foolish, it's empty-headed. Empty of wisdom, empty of good reasoning, empty of even common sense, empty. If we believe we are true believers and have no accompanying good works or deed, James says, sorry, you are foolishly empty. Now that might come across for some as being a little harsh, especially if you're someone who think you are all that. But God's word says, if you're not accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then you're foolish, empty. Though he has at his disposal a boatload of faith and faithfulness in terms of examples from the Old Testament, isn't it interesting that James selects two people that are polar opposites? Abraham, the patriarch, Rahab, the prostitute. What a difference, right? At this point, all those familiar with the letters of Paul once again have a problem. The skeptics like to point to another place here where they see an apparent problem popping off the page. Once again, this seems to be a contradiction, a statement that James is making contradicting what Paul has said. Romans chapter 4, verse 3, Abraham believed God, this is the apostle Paul speaking, and it was credited to him as righteousness. However, James here in chapter 2 is not contradicting Paul at all. Paul is referring to Abraham's initial experience of what we call justification back in Genesis 15, verse 6. Some of you will recall, Abraham has a vision. And he's basically told by God in that vision that he's going to have a son. Him and Sarah have not had any, and they're up in their years, right? And he's told by God, he's promised by God, he's going to have a son. Not only that, but the offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. 
Okay, that's the promise. That's what Paul is referring to. Back in Genesis 15, James, however, is referring to an experience that is recorded in Genesis 22. Okay, fast forward. How many years? Some 30 years later. From the initial experience when it is claimed that it was Abraham's belief was credited to him as righteousness. Some 30 years later, when in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham is doing what? He's putting that faith that he stated 30 years earlier in Genesis 15 now is being put into action. Okay? And that's what James is talking about. So you see then James and Paul are on the same page. They are not contradicting one another. Look at once again what James actually said in verse 23. He basically repeats what Paul wrote in Romans 4. They're saying the same thing. Look at 23 again. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And, it was, and he was called God's friend. James is not saying that Abraham was saved by works of what he writes in verse 23. What Abraham did in Genesis 22 was the verifying deed, the fruit, the result of his faith that is described in Genesis 15. A faith that does. How do we know Abraham really has faith in God? Because we can see it. Described for us here on the pages of Scripture. He was willing to obey God to the point of putting on the altar his son, which represents, mind you, the very promises of God. And he's willing to do it because of his faith. And I think because Abraham somehow knows that even in the last hour, God is going to come through. Amen. You may be thinking, wow, I, I could never be like Abraham. I could never do what Abraham did. Man, there's no hope for me. It's like James knew that we would have those kind of thoughts. It's like he knew that that's where we would go. So what does James do? He then goes to the other end of the faith spectrum. From Abraham, the patriarch. The friend of God. To verse 25. In the same way. Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous and then here it is again, for what she said. Oh, no, that's not what it says. <laughs> for what she did. When she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Rahab changed allegiances and demonstrated her change in faith from false gods to the one true God. And if you read Joshua chapter 6, you find 
that when the Israelites actually ended up defeating Jericho, Rahab and her entire household were spared because of her courageous acts of faith. And we learned that Rahab herself became an Israelite. In fact, she was one of four Old Testament women included in the genealogy of Jesus, right? Found in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. What a remarkable example of the lasting fruit, the lasting fruit of authentic faith. She wasn't saved by good deeds, but her good deeds revealed her saving faith. Verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Wherever you find separation, you find death. It's true in physical life. When the spirit is separated from the body, death occurs. It is also true in the Christian life. When you have a life and are calling it faith, and there is nothing to demonstrate that it is authentic over the long haul, then a separation has occurred between faith and deeds, and the result is, as we've already said, a hollow, empty, useless faith. An inactive faith has no more usefulness than a body with no heartbeat or breath. James isn't trying to get, and I want to make sure everyone here in the room understands this, this is not James trying to get true believers to start doubting their salvation. That's not what he's wanting to do. He is hoping that those who have been satisfied with playing the game with intellectual faith only, would step it up. Make the changes necessary to have true saving faith with the accompanying evidence of fruit and results. You know you are truly born again when you find yourself actually truly obeying God and his word. We are not saved by obedience, but our obedience proves that we're saved. For true faith does. Our natural sinful inclination is to look for excuses and loopholes. Isn't that true? That's just kind of where we go, isn't it? We look for excuses, we look for loopholes, especially in the realm of what James has taught us here in this second chapter. I want to finish up with a couple of quotes from Elizabeth Elliot. She writes, the word of God I think of as a straight edge, which shows us our crookedness. <laughs> We can't really tell how crooked our thinking is until we line it up with the straight edge of Scripture. Isn't that good? The second quote from her says, we must quit bending the word to suit our situation. It is we who must be bent to that word. Amen. Father, we come before you and we thank you for this word.
We thank you for this letter that James has written. We thank you for the challenge, for the conviction, for the encouragement that it brings to our lives. We thank you that your word really is our straight edge and we can line up everything to it and trust it to lead us and guide us in the right way. And that way will be a way that leads to you. That way will be a way that empowers us and enables us to have a faith that does, a faith that is real and true, not only bringing salvation to ourselves, but also showing you and revealing you, displaying you, reflecting you in how we live our lives. Caring, showing compassion, displaying a faith that is real and alive, accompanied with your love that is true as well. Not only does love do, but faith does as well. May we be your kind of people to follow you in that way. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up my heart.